hey, this is Pastor Brad of One Love Church, and I just wanted to real quickly thank you for stopping by the podcast. If you'd like to find out more about One Love Church, it's pretty easy to do. Just look us up online at onelovechurch.org. And even better than that, I personally invite you to come and join us this Sunday at One Love. We have two worship times at 10 and at 11.30, both times the exact same, full of children's ministries and a nursery. We invite you to join us this Sunday at One Love Church. Matthew chapter 1. We have talked about our crazy Christmas family for the last few weeks. We talked about the pessimist, the malcontent. And today we're going to talk about some of you in here this morning who deal with the same thing that my dog deals with. My wife and I just got a new puppy a couple months ago. It's adorable. It's ador- it is adorable. You can have it. You can have anyone? <laughs> just no, let me know. she cannot. We have... <laughs> I didn't mean specifically you. I mean any of you. That was a generic you. Uh... What happened was we we bought a uh, bull mastiff, and bull mastiffs, I don't know if you know this, but they get pretty big, and we are big dog people. We have a Bernice Mountain Dog, which is uh, a big dog, and so uh, we enjoy big dogs, and so we specifically got the bull mastiff because my wife just fell in love with it. So we bring it home, and what happens over the next couple of months is that our dog has doubled in size, but she doesn't know that, right? She, she, in her mind, is still this little puppy, but she's not quite so little anymore. So this morning, she did something that I thought was so perfect for today's sermon. She gets up onto what we have as a little deck behind our house, and on that, we have a little fire pit. And so our fire pit is, you know, just one of those simple ones that you can get anywhere. They have the three, you know, metal arms and then the big bowl that sits in it. Well, in that, we have these big chunks of charcoal where we've put out the wood, right? My dog (laughs) loves to chew on the charcoal, okay? I bet that helps with the gas. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. So she gets up with her front legs and gets a piece of the charcoal, and I pound on the window. Well, this morning, I'm ironing, and I see her get up onto the bowl and begin to bite a piece of charcoal. And this morning, she decides she's going to be a little greedy and go for the biggest chunk in the bowl. Well, she can't lift it, so she needs more leverage. So she puts her third leg up on the bowl. Now has one leg keeping her somewhat attached to the ground. Finally, realizing she still can't get it, lifts her fourth leg onto the bowl and is now happy because she got the charcoal, but is now in the bowl going like this, right? (laughs) And I'm screaming at her from the window, get down, get down. She's looking at me like, what? I know you know what I'm saying to you. Get down. So finally, she works her way falls out, charcoal goes flying, she yelps, jumps up, and I sit there going, you are the dumbest dog I've ever known, (laughs) right? The truth is, what she was demonstrating is really what a lot of us demonstrate all the time, and that is that we just want a little bit more, right? We're, We're a little greedy with what we want in our lives, and it's not 
really about anybody else. Because in that moment, when we're looking for that one final thing that will give us the pleasure or the joy, it doesn't really matter what else is going on around us in our world. We can literally trap ourselves in a moment and no one else around us even exists because we're so possessive of that thing that will make our life a little better. Does that make sense? There's a book that came out called The Day America Told the Truth. And in this book, two authors by the name of James Patterson and Peter Kim revealed some pretty startling statistics where they would ask segments of America, what would you do if? What would you do if we did this? What would you do if we did that? Well, in one of the questions they asked, what would you do if we gave you $10 million? And they had a list of things. Would you do this for $10 million? And here's some of the numbers I want to share with you this morning. 25% of those who were surveyed, 25%, one in four, said for $10 million they would leave their family. That same number, $10 million, 25% said that they would turn their backs on their faith or on their church. 23%, almost one in four, 23% said for $10 million they would become a prostitute for more than a week. 16% said that they would completely give up their American citizenship. 16% said, if you give me $10 million, I will leave my spouse. 10% said, for $10 million, Karen, you have full authority right now, in Jesus' name, to anoint that man. For $10 million, (laughs) lay hands all over his face. For 10... (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that would be for $10. For $10, I will take. 10% said for $10 million, they would withhold their testimony and let a murderer go free. 7% said for $10 million, they would kill a complete stranger. 7%. Yeah, maybe not. And 3%, you know, someone did call you grandpa today. 3% say they would give their children up for adoption. 3% would give their children up for adoption for $10 million. What is this an example of? It's greed. What would you do for that amount of money? Now, here's the tragic part of it. When you begin to hear those numbers, you can literally sit there to yourself and say, I believe that number. When 25% of people say that they would leave their faith, they would leave their faith for $10 million. If you're like me, you can sit there and say to yourself, I believe that number. There's a part of me, truthfully, thinks it might have been a little bit higher. 25% of our country says for $10 million, I would leave my spouse Ten million dollars is a lot of money. What can you do with that? Where can that get you? What can that buy you in life? I'm sure 25% of the people thought it could buy me a new spouse. 
The sad part about it is, it's true. Here's what we find out whenever we really investigate our inner spirit. We find out that there are some things that give us value in life that just simply shouldn't. And we chase after those things because for some reason that value feels really good to me. And it feels good to me when you value me. It it makes me feel good and fuzzy inside whenever I get value from my boss. Or I get value from someone who has authority over me. Or whenever my children tell me that they love me. I love that. So I begin to want more of that. And I don't want to get it in a natural way. I want to get it in a way that comes to me quickly. Instead of me actually demonstrating love to my children and waiting to receive that love in return, I'm going to buy them. So I'm going to give them possessions or give them what they want, not necessarily what they need, because if I can just buy them, then instantly I can feel that very thing that really has nothing to do with them and everything to do with me. And then we translate how we become adults into our faith. And now all of a sudden, I want God to be the instantaneous, warm, fuzzy feeling in my spirit that I had on day one of my salvation experience all the time. And if he's not that, then guess what I say? I want something else. There must be something else that can make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. And the $10 million in our, in our uh, imaginary moment here becomes something real for you. It becomes a possession for you. And for a lot of us, it can become a substance. It can become something valuable. It becomes possessions. It becomes relationships. For so many of us, we jump from one person to the next person simply because we're looking for the instantaneous fuzzy feeling. It's greed. I want for me what I deserve in my moment, in my time. And if you can't give it to me, then you got to move out of the way so that I can get it any way that I can. Today we're going to read about an individual that we don't get to hear a lot about in Scripture. In this moment in Scripture, the Christmas story, we're going to read about Joseph and some incredible characteristics that Joseph brings to the table that can really begin to demonstrate us how we can battle these moments of greediness in our spirit and in our life. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this, the birth of Jesus took place like this, his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered that she was pregnant, and it was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. And so Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so that Mary would not be disgraced. What do we find out from the very beginning here? I don't know about you, but I have a determined route for my life. Now, because of my idiotic mistakes that I make all the time, I get off that route. 
but I know where I want to go, right? I went and got education in this specific area because that's where I want to go, right? I, I have formulated a life plan, a life policy. I have goals set out in front of me that I want to meet, that I want to get to, to be where I believe God has created me to be. That is my route. That is my goal. Joseph was the exact same way. You see, in this time, what was most important to a man was to fulfill his legacy, to be who he was meant to be in his moment. And that came with a wife and with a generation that would follow you. Your name would be passed down and people would remember you and your place in this moment and your spot on earth and how much God loved you and loved you by who you became while you were here. It was all tied to your name, your being, what God gave to you. And God gave Joseph a beautiful wife. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I saw my wife, I knew. Well, maybe not the first time because she was like 10. (laughs) It took a little bit longer than that. But the first time we actually went on a date, we had dated for two weeks, and we went back to her house and sitting on, on her couch. I still remember this. I looked at her, you know, she looks at me, her eyelashes, you know, fluttering, my heart, you know, just break, whatever. And, and I'm sitting next to her, and I said to her, I said, you know, in this moment, I said, I am going to marry you. You know, and, and my beautiful Soon-to-be wife turned to me and went, you're crazy. (laughs) Right? That's true. That is a true story. I can imagine Joseph in this moment, right, looking at this woman and knowing, you are the beginning of my life. We will have children, and our children will have children, and they will be carpenters, and people will look at them, and they will say, oh, You must be a carpenter like your grandfather or like your father was a carpenter, right? He knows all of this. It's in his mind. It is generations that God has prepared for him. He is ready for it. He is planned and ready to go. And then he gets together with his wife, and she says, I'm pregnant. And everything you have planned is over. And the woman you had picked out is over. And people will begin to talk about you and whisper about you. And they won't buy products for you. Your ideas of a business are over because you couldn't even keep your wife in your bed. You see, that's how it's going to unfold. And so they have given you, by law, a way out of this, Joseph, You simply have to kill her. Make a public statement. Say to them that you had nothing to do with this woman and that you will end her life before she will take your name. But what does Joseph do? Scripture tells us that Joseph quietly looked for a resolution. Why? So that she wouldn't be hurt. Now, I don't know how you would react in that moment. 
I can hope how I would have reacted in that moment. But the truth is, if my soon-to-be wife had come to me and told me that she was pregnant right before we were to finalize our vows together in our moment where we are a couple together, we are engaged. It wasn't like engaged today. Engaged back then basically meant you were married, you just hadn't signed the deal yet. You were already living life like a married couple, and you're pregnant? That's my right. And so here's what happens. Quietly, so that Mary would not be disgraced, he begins to think and pray about what to do. And verse 20 says, And while he was trying to figure a way out, he had a dream. And God's angel spoke in the dream. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth. And when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves because he will save his people from their sins And this would bring the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. Watch for this. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is Hebrew, for God is with us. What does God say to Joseph? God says to Joseph specifically this. Not only have I given to you the woman that I have chosen, But I have given into your possession my son, who was prophesied about, who you know is coming and has come and will be under your household. Not only have I done all of this, but guess who gets to give him his name? You do. Now, what have we been talking about? The power of the name, the possession in the name, the importance of the name. The father passes down the name. The name means something. My name is Brad Lewis. But when people look at me, do you know what my name is? Really? It's David Lewis. You know who David Lewis is? David Lewis is my father. I am a reflection of who my father has raised me to be. And so as I stand here, I am a reflection of my father. I don't want to be. I never asked for that. I don't want it to be that way. The truth is my dad and I got into a lot of fights because he would get in my face and say, you cannot do that. You are a reflection of me. And I would go, no, I'm not. I'm my own man. (laughs) Right? I hit puberty at a very old age. I can't decide if that was Mickey Mouse or a lunch kid. (laughs) That was me. But here's what I found out. I am. I am a reflection of my father. And my kids, whether they like it or not, are a reflection of me. I know they don't like it. I know they don't want it to be that way. They will eventually stand in their own fatherhood and get to create their own name. But right now, they are my name. They are me. Now, one day when you have a baby boy, he will be you. But guess what? He will still be in my line and still carry my name. Guess what kind of responsibility that is for me? Spiritually, 
I need to make sure that my children and my family are on the right track where God has created us to be because God has abundant blessings prepared and ready for my family, for the Lewis name. And you, son, you will get them. And I will prepare you for that. And your kids will be prepared because I will prepare you. And God is saying, Joseph, you will name my baby boy. And you will be the one in these moments to prepare him, to nourish him, to feed him. I am giving him to you to name. Why? Because God ordained for a wise man on this earth to demonstrate to little baby Jesus what it meant to be a man on earth. Now, I don't know how you would feel in that moment, but I know how I would feel in that moment. And so Joseph woke up, verse 24, and he did exactly what God's angel commanded him in the dream. He married Mary. He did not consummate the marriage until she had had the baby, and he named the baby Jesus. Three things, quickly, that we can learn from Joseph in this brief, momentary picture of who he is as a man. Here's the first thing. Joseph understood what it takes to have real joy. What it takes to have real joy in your life. You see, worrying about what other people think about you is not real joy. Worrying about where other people are going to place you in their spectrum of society, that's not real joy. Having to adjust my life and my temperament and what God has created me to be so that I fit into what you would approve, that's not joy. Joy is this. Joy is understanding that I have been placed on this earth to serve Jesus first, others second, and you last, me last. Real joy is understanding that Jesus is first, others are second, and I am last. What does that mean? It means you have to go against what everybody has ever taught you and follow the example of Jesus Christ who said, I have come here to serve, who knelt at the feet of his disciples on the biggest night of his life and washed their feet in the midst of their arguments telling him to stop, who stood and said that there are going to be very many people who want to come and sit at the table but very few workers. What does that mean? Everybody wants to be boss. Everybody wants to be fed like a king. But nobody wants to serve. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to do what it takes in order to have real joy. This is what it takes. It's this simple. And, and Joseph demonstrated it beautifully. In order for you to get joy out of what God has prepared for your life, you have got to give it away. You have to give life, not suck it all the time. You have to give it. We become vacuums of everything that is around us that someone else, if Nick gets a blessing, guess what I want? I want Nick's blessing. I don't just want my blessing. I want Nick's blessing. 
If, if Pleman gets experiences, guess what I want? I want his experiences. He shouldn't get those and not me. Why does he get it and not me? It's a, it's a simple, fundamental life change that has to happen. This front row can't get over the fact that I said suck. <laughs> Guys, come on. Suck it up. We're going to get there. <laughs> Number two, Joseph listened to God, not just his greed. He listened to God, not just his greed. And finally, number three, he did exactly what God has to say. The demonstration that Joseph shows us is pretty simple. The first is this. I have to die to myself. If Joseph really engaged in his self, do you know what he would have done? He would have killed Mary from the very beginning, and it all would have been over with. But you know what? He still would have had a name. The second thing that he understood in listening to God was that when God speaks to me, I accept what he has to tell me. I don't argue with him, but I do what it says in verse 24. I get up and I go. I get up and I do. Now, if you're anything like me, and some of you are a lot like me, when God tells you it's time to do something, the first thing you do is not go. Right? The first thing you do is you go, now is there any way that this can happen without me getting involved? Right? Let's be honest. But it's because for most of my life, I have lived, breathed, and thought like a selfish, greedy person. I've been trained to be greedy by my schools, by my parents, by generations before me who are in my bloodline, that I should take what is mine. And the reason that the teachings of Christ were so contrary and we're so scary, and we're so different, is because here was God on earth who said, it's all backward. Your Christian traditions are even backward. Because you see, you have built your Christian traditions to make you feel good. They're not about you. That's why when you miss a Christian tradition, you feel bad. You ever notice that? It's because they're built around you, how they make you feel, how you can be more spiritual, how you can be more like God. What Joseph knew and understood was finally that last thing. When God says move, you got to move. When God says pray, you got to pray. When God says stand, you need to stand. When God says be blessed, you need to be blessed. Quit living in what everybody else wants you to be and live in what God has created you to be. That's Christmas. The idea that God gave to you a gift that should change your being, not just your spiritual nature, but your entire makeup of who you are when you step outside of this room and into the world. If you are not infecting those who are around you, then those who are around you are infecting you. It's that simple. When Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs, do you know what he said to them? Get ready. It's not going to be easy. That's why I'm sending you in twos. Because if you went out in ones, half of y'all wouldn't come back. Will you stand with me?
Here's what we're going to do this morning. We already did it once. We did it in the AM service. We're going to do it here today. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. To understand and in battle, to become a warrior against these certain character traits that a lot of us carry in our lifestyles and in our families, to become the instrument of change that God has provided for generations of our family to come, not just for our children, but for our children's children. I want my children to look back on me as a father and to say to their kids one day that this thing changed in our family generationally when my dad stood up and said no more. My family will no longer be addicted to alcohol because I will change that in my family. It will change with me. It stops here. The greed stops here. The malcontent stops here. The pessimistic attitude towards God stops here. All of those things begin to change in my generation, in my family right now. And let me tell you why. Because one day I sat in a church, and I was about 20 years old, and there was a pastor that I did not know up there preaching in the pulpit. And he said something that I have never let go of, and this was it. In your darkest of moments, in your corner, black, suffering, dark heart moment, where you think No one hears you, no one feels you, no one loves you, no one understands you. In that moment, you will sit there and you will realize that you are more blessed than 90% of the world that is around you. And in your naivety, in your selfishness, and in your greed, you will stand up from that corner and you will praise God for what he has given to you. And I remember one specific day, my wife and I, in our bedroom, I was making like $10 an hour. She had no job, was going to school. We had a kid. We had a house. We had all the stuff you're supposed to have in life, right? We thought things were going good. Here's the problem. We had no money for bills. So I laid in the bed, and literally in the fetal position, and I am weeping, and my wife is holding me, and I am telling her, I am not a man. How can I do this? How can I have a family? I can't even support you. I can't give to you. And I remember looking at my wife and my wife saying this. We will never forget how blessed we are. Look around us. So here is what I pray to you this morning. Don't forget what God has already given to you by chasing after all the things that you think you deserve, that you think you need, but that God has not given to you yet. It's not yours. Quit being envious. Quit desiring what is not yours. Quit chasing after the life that God has not given to you. And rejoice in who he has created you to be. Rejoice in what he's given you. Rejoice in the gift of Jesus Christ that came in this moment to demonstrate to you that this world cannot conquer you, that sin cannot conquer you, that grief cannot conquer you, that pain cannot conquer you, that debt cannot conquer you, but God will conquer all for you because that's how important you are. So here's what I want to do this morning. Just give you a moment. We do it a lot here at One Love because this should be about you, not about me. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to step back. 
I'm going to close the prayer, but I just want you to thank God for what you've got today. That's it. If it's standing next to you, then grab a hold of it. Hug it, embrace it, hold his hand, grab its neck, kiss Pleman on the forehead, do whatever you got to do, because here's what you need to understand today. You are blessed. You are abundantly blessed. And you and I will begin to live today as blessed individuals, not malcontent, not pessimistic, and not greedy, but worshiping and grateful for where we stand right now. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning for what you have given to us, for what you have anointed us to do, Father, for how you send us out, send us forth, understanding, knowing, and recognizing all of the blessings, the abundant blessings that you pour upon us every single day. The fact, Father, that we have a roof, that we have grass in our front yard, God, a tree around our house at some point, that, Father, you have given my children shoes and jeans and socks and a shirt that, God, they can go to school clean, having bathed in a shower with water that you have provided, that, my Father, we sleep underneath the stars that you give to us as artwork. Father, the clouds and the beauty that surrounds a sunset, that, Father, all of these things are blessings that come from you. They are gifts to me from you. God, I acknowledge them, I appreciate them, and I worship you for them, Father for finding me worthy, for finding this church worthy, Father, for finding my family worthy. And I pray, God, that I will never allow my family to see anything but you in the goodness that comes our way. And God, we will worship you. For generations of my name, we will worship you as the one true God, as our God. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.